Amen. First Kings 18, 30 through 40, the Bible says, Elijah uh, said to all the people, come near to me. And so all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seahs of seed, I don't know how much that is. It's a lot. So, <laughs> and he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood, and said, Fill four water pots with water, and pour it out on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. Now, just, just kind of pause here for a minute, just kind of let you know what's happening. If you want to build a fire, you don't uh, douse the wood in water not going to work, right? It's hard to burn wet wood, but that's what he was doing. He doused it in water. So the water ran all around the altar and filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, he's praying out loud before the people, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I've done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. And then the fire of the Lord fell. And consume the sacrifice, wood, water, and all. And the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. And so they seized them, and Elijah brought them back to the brook Kishon and executed them there. So kind of a little background introduction. I maybe should have done this first so you get a better context, but basically what's happening is Elijah is a prophet of God. Uh, he was sent to the people of God, but at that particular time, the people of God had divided. You had a northern kingdom, you had a southern kingdom. The southern kingdom had the temple of God where the worship of God was taking place, and uh, they had more of a pure worship to the Lord. The northern kingdom, they began to worship idols, and they went off in a, in a different direction. And so God sent them a prophet to declare to them the word of God and to bring them back to him. So Elijah was sent, he was the prophet who carried the word of the Lord, and part of his word uh, to get them to pay attention was, hey, listen, you guys are offering sacrifices to idols and all these kind of things because you think it controls the weather, but I want you to know that God controls the weather, so there's not going to be any rain except at my word, and I'm, uh, I've got the word of the Lord. This is what God told me to do. And so uh, according to the word of the Lord, he withheld the rain from the land because of the gross sin that prevailed in the idolatry and the rebellion that was prevailing in the land. So prophesying to the king of Israel, God sends Elijah outside of Israel uh, so that they don't kill him. You know, because if there's no rain, it's kind of like there's a shutdown. Uh, for a little while, there was a shutdown in our, in our country, and we didn't have any supplies coming in. And if there was one person that was in charge of that, I promise you, they would have gone and got him. Well, basically, that's what's happened with Elijah. All of a sudden, the economy is going to shut down because there's no rain, which means there's no agriculture. This was an agricultural society. There's no herds. There's no flocks because they're dying because there's no water. They drink water. So Elijah's uh, persona non grata. He's an enemy of the state. God knows that, gets him out of Israel. He's out of, I mean, out of the northern kingdom, gets him out of there for three and a half years. And after three and a half years, Elijah is sent back by God to confront 
once again, the king and the people that are worshiping false gods. So that brings us kind of to the, to the crux of what we're going to be getting at here today. There's a few points we're going to be looking at. The first one I just titled Rallied, okay? 1 Kings 18 and 30, Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And so all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. So let me kind of give you what's, uh, uh, the context of what's happening. When Elijah brought all the people, all the people came to him because he called them together to, uh, to himself. Um, he issued a challenge. And the challenge was, you get all your people, all your priests that you've ordained to be uh, priests over this false system of worship. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to set up two altars. They're going to call out to your God, and, uh, uh, and then I'm going to build an altar to the Lord God, and I'm going to call out to my God. And whoever answers by fire, let's just all agree that that's God. Okay, so he issued the challenge, and they had 400 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, and basically he said, you go first. And so they went first, and they got their altar ready, got their sacrifices ready, and they began to call out to their God. Um, and uh, as they were doing that, uh, they, 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 Elijah was kind of making fun of them because it took from 9 o'clock, probably in the morning, to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They were calling out to God. They were cutting themselves. They were doing everything they knew how to do to get their God, Baal, to answer, right? But the problem was there was no answer. So after their time of doing that, Elijah says, okay, my turn. And, uh, uh, and he says, uh, and so what, the first thing he did is when he said it was my turn, the first thing he did was to call all the people over to himself. So that's why I titled this rally. He rallied the people to himself around him as he called out on the name of the one true God. Now remember, Elijah is, in his mind, it's not true, but in his mind, the only one who is truly following after God in this land. Where the worship of Baal and Asherah had proliferated, Elisha believed he was the only one that served the one true God. So what Elijah was doing is he was calling these people that were worshiping Baal and Asherah, false idols, false prophets, who used to worship God, he was calling them to himself to follow him and to follow his example as he called on his God. In other words, watch as I call on God, watch what God will do, and you will know, you people that used to know God, that used to live for God, you will know that that God is alive, that God is real, and he is in fact the only true God. He rallied the people to himself. It reminds me of what Paul said in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 11 and 1. He says, be ye followers of me, even as I am of Christ. In other words, I'm going to call on God. I want you guys to be around me as I do that because I want the God who is uh, 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 paramount in my life, who, is, uh, uh, who I know to be the true king of Israel, who I know to be the true God of the universe. I want him to rub off uh, what he's doing in my life. I want it to rub off on you. And the only way that's going to do that is if you hang around me and see what I do. Like Elijah, like Paul, we can't be silent in our walk, in our worship of God. We have to be bold and call people around us to watch us, to worship with us, and follow us as we follow after and call upon the living God. 
We've got to start getting bold for the Lord. I want you to know that God, every one of us can say, do you believe God can do anything? And every one of us will say, yes, we believe God can do anything. And, uh, you know, do you believe that Jesus can walk on the water? Yes, I believe Jesus can walk on the water. Do you believe that God could do that with anybody? Yes, he could do that with anybody. He did it with Peter. He said, so get out there on the water. Uh Uh-uh. You see, I believe it theoretically. I don't believe it practically. And I think that the season is now, and the season is at a time where we've got to be bold for God, and as we're bold for God and call for God to show himself strong in people's lives, that I believe that we're going to begin to see God do incredible miracles, incredible healings, incredible deliverances of people that are struggling, not necessarily in the house of God. We'll see it in the house of God, but I believe we're going to see it out there. I believe that God's going to impress upon us to pray for people that are, that are, that are uh, limping, that are paralyzed, that, that have problems out there. And as we do that, that we're going to be bold and we're going to say, I'm going to call on God and watch what God's going to do. And as we do that, God's going to show himself strong. And as he does that, people's lives are going to be changed. So it brings me to my second point. So Elijah was rallying people to himself. And when he rallied the people to himself, the second thing he did is he repaired. I believe all of these start with the letter R. So 1 Kings 18, 30 through 35, Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And so they came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. And then with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He made a trench around the altar and he put the wood on it. He filled four water pots with water. He said, do it again. He did it again. So bottom line is he got everything ready and the water was on the sacrifice. The next thing we see Elijah doing is repairing the altar. You see, there was a, another altar in that place, but the altar that the other altar in that land was dedicated to another God. That's where they were worshiping around. And Elijah said, no, we're going to build a different altar. We're going to repair an altar that used to be here. There used to be an altar in this place, and this altar was to God. He said, I'm going to repair this altar because God is still alive, and watch what God's going to do. And I'm saying this as I'm saying this right now. There are many people, whether it be in this house, watching by uh, uh, broadcast, or however you're doing it, that you used to have an altar to God. You used to have a relationship with God. You used to serve God, but something took you away from your, from your worship of God, from being dedicated to the Lord, from God doing whatever it is in your life. And I'm here to tell you that God loves you. He cares about you. He's not angry at you, but he wants you to know that he is God, and God's going to begin a process of repairing that altar in your life. Elijah began the process of rebuilding his altar. What is an altar? It is a place of prayer, a place of worship, a place of consecration. But I was listening to a broadcast this week. Most importantly, it's a place of sacrifice. It's a place where you offer something to God. Now, in the New Testament, we don't offer bulls, rams, whatever the case may be. It says in Revelations 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body, yourself, who you are as a living sacrifice to God. It's where you give yourself to the Lord. Your worship has to include sacrifice. You see, too many people today, they want to go to church and they want to quote-unquote worship God, but they're not willing to give anything of themselves. 
It's what I can get out of it. What's God going to do for me? And God is good. God does bless people. But that's not true worship. True worship is when you give of yourself to the Lord. The Bible says, He that would come after me, Matthew 16, 24, uh, says, He that would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after God. It's not my will, but your will be done. In order to do your will, I've got to die to my will. And I want you to know, I I understand what that means, but it's not always easy dying to your will because sometimes what happens is you make your will God's will. And so if I'm trying to do God's will, then this is a good thing unless you've made your will synonymous with God's will. And so you think you're doing God's will because you put God in your will, but it's not God's will, it's your will. Even if it's a good thing. If it's a good thing, I say, I want to do this for God. But does God want you to do that for him? I've always wanted to be a missionary. I always wanted to go overseas. I always wanted to do something out there. And uh, I never wanted to, to be in a place where, uh, you know, that the, the church had a big church, be a pastor of a single congregation. I never wanted to do that. And I said, Lord, I don't want that. I want this. I want this. I want this. And the Lord spoke to me one day. He said, well, what if that's what I want for you? I said, that ain't God. And I wrestled with God, wrestled with God, wrestled with God, come to find out it was God. And it wasn't, it wasn't God that was going to change, it was Rick that was going to have to change, right? And now that I've gotten a little older, I'm so grateful that I decided to do things his way. When I was younger, I didn't really particularly care about doing that. But now that I'm older, I see the wisdom in it. And you know what? I want you to know that God knows who you are. He knows what's ahead of, time, ahead of your life. And God, wants, God is not trying to punish you. He is not trying to keep you from enjoying life. He actually knows your, your frame, knows you as a person better than anything. He knows what's needed. And if you will submit to him, you will find that you will have a better life following after him, doing his will than if you got everything you wanted. He's a good God. So anyway, let's get back. Uh, uh, So an altar is a place of sacrifice. It's the place where believers commune with God. Elijah was already walking with God, so Elijah was rebuilding this altar in the sight of the people for the people, not for himself. Elijah was rebuilding this altar in, in plain sight of and on behalf of the people who once served God themselves. Matthew 6, 10, it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? on earth as it is in heaven. Like Elijah, we have a commission from God to bring as the church of God the ways of God, the will of God, the ways of the kingdom to bear in the place where God has placed us. Through our sacrifice, our prayer, our worship, our consecration, through our lives, through the way that we live, through the things that we talk, through the way that we do things, we, like Elijah, are called of God to repair the altar of God that was once dominant in our families, that was once dominant in our neighborhoods, in our cities, that we might show that God is truly the one and only living and powerful God. Matthew 4.23, Jesus, the Bible says when Jesus came from, uh, from heaven, he came down to this earth, and whenever he was on this earth, uh, you might say to yourself, well, Jesus is God. Yes, he is, but he didn't function on this planet as God. He functioned on this planet as a man. He was 100% God, but he didn't do anything with his God powers. Let's just put it that way. Does it make sense to you? 
He did everything as a human being uh, on, on whom the Spirit of God li- uh, rested. And so why is that important? Because Jesus came, and when he came, what he did is he brought God's presence, brought God's ways, God brought the, 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 the manifestation of the kingdom of God with him. And what did that look like? Matthew 4.23, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases among the people. I, I started doing a little bit, I, I thought I was going to preach on it, but I hadn't yet. But everyone that came to Jesus, whenever they came to Jesus, it seemed like he made their lives better. He said, well, he's God. Of course he's going to make their lives better. Don't forget what I told you. Everything he did, he did as a man empowered by the Spirit of God. So a leper came to, comes to Jesus, and he said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I'm willing. He touches him and becomes clean. Made his life whole. Made his life better. Then a centurion comes to Jesus and said, I have a servant at home that's paralyzed. He said, if you'll come, I mean, if, you, if you'll just say the word, he'll be healed. And Jesus said, I'll come with you. He said, no, no, just say the word and he'll be healed. Jesus spoke the word and the servant was healed. Made his life better. He gets invited into Peter's house. When he's in Peter's house, his mother is lying uh, 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 in bed. Not with, uh, If you go to Luke, it says with a great fever. Not just any kind of fever, it was a great fever. And, and when he finds out, he goes to her and he prays over her, he rebukes the fever, and he makes her life better. She gets up, she gets up well, she gets up whole. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And then the Bible says that whenever people hear all this, it says that they brought everyone, you know, to him, and as they brought everybody to him, he healed them all. Then he goes on the, uh, to the other side of the lake and while he was on the lake a storm begins to brew and when the storm begins to brew the disciples who are fishermen they're used to being on the lake they're used to being on the water but they're scared because they don't know how to get, they're going to get out of this they think they're going to die they go over and they wake Jesus up and when they wake Jesus up Jesus rebukes the storm makes things better he gets to the other side of the lake. When he gets to the other side of the lake, there are two people that are so demon-possessed, nobody can keep them. They're chained. They're, they're hidden out in the cave. When Jesus comes over them, he frees them from their demonic uh, 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 oppressors. And when he does that, they are free. They're whole. They're sitting in their right mind. You know what he did? He made their lives better. And then you know what Jesus says before he left? He said, the works that I do, greater works than these shall you do, because I go to my Father who is in heaven. Why is that important? Because when he went up, the Holy Spirit came down. And the same spirit that rested on Jesus now lives and rests on you. So we can do what? So we can, by the power of God, make people's lives better. I I just preached another sermon. I did that for free. It's not even in my nose. How do we rebuild the altars in people's lives? By demonstrating God to them. And what does God look like? He makes their lives better. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, how often has we we have a church been guilty of making people's lives worse? Because we have condemnation and judgment. Now, I'm not saying that we can't stand for truth, but we're supposed to love people into the kingdom, not judge them into the kingdom. Right? You still tell them the truth. Jesus didn't shy away from the truth, but it seemed like all the sinners wanted to hang around him. Why? Because they felt the love of God. They saw someone that, no matter where they were at, they recognized, hey, man, we're all in the same place. But God, if we'll just come to God, it don't matter where we're at. If we'll come to God, yes, I'm lost. Yes, I need to repent of my... But if I'll come to God, Jesus will embrace me and he'll make my life better. Why? Because he that knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 
Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, I want you to know it doesn't matter if you were born in the greatest palaces of the earth or if you were born in a lonely manger. We are all a whoever. We are all, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all in the same place. It don't matter if you can jump 20 feet or you can jump 5 feet. The one that thinks he can jump 20 feet thinks he's better than the one that can jump 5. And they think he's better than the one that can jump 1. But if you're jumping over a chasm that nobody can breach, you're all falling in the pit. For all have sinned and fallen short of the... And the wages of sin is death but God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life he didn't come to uh, that someone no one takes his life the Bible says I give my life of my own accord no uh, no greater love is this than a man lay down his life for his friends what's the purpose so he can make not his life better so he can make our life better And then he says, as you sent me into the world, Father, I send them into the world. To do what? To make the world better. How do we make the world better? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right. Let me get back. Let me see if I can get back. Went on a rabbit trail there, but I think I see a clearing. I'm back. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came and spoke to them. All authority has been given to me. Go you, therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. By the way, if you were one of those that had a problem with your foot, let me know, because I'd like you to give a testimony. We'd like to see what God has done. So third, third point we're going to look at is requested. 1 Kings 18, 36-37. It came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I've done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and you have turned their hearts back to you again. Now notice he's, he's prophesying. He said they hadn't done it yet, but he said that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Listen, I'm telling you, I'm praying for my family members. I'm praying for my loved ones. And I'm not praying from a standpoint of they're not going to know God. I already know they're going to know God, but I'm going to pray that they are going to manifest in my life at a sooner time. I know where they're going to end up because God's told me, right? So sometimes I tell them, this is what's going to happen in your life. And they're like, "Uh uh-uh. I said, yes, it is. God told me. And that's what Elijah's doing. I know these people are turning back to you, God. You've already shown me. You have already turned their hearts back to you again. So Elijah was openly praying that God would answer his prayer and his petition. Unlike the idols that proliferated throughout the land, we don't serve a God who is silent and inattentive to the plights and the prayers of his people. Psalms 115, 4 through 8. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. I want to tell you, Confucius can't help you. Can't help you. Buddha can't help you. Uh, you know, a lot of people think yoga can help you. I want you to know, if you're not careful with that yoga, it'll end you, it'll end you up being demonized at some point. Because it's from the pit of hell. It was created to serve a false god. Right? The devil ain't going to help you because he don't like you. He may tell you he likes you, and he may tell you he'll give you all this power, but I want you to know that he cometh but to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a liar. He's a thief. He's a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't want your welfare, and he doesn't want your benefit, right? I don't care what warlocks and witches and all these things say, oh, God's given me power. I'm here to tell you God's power is greater than any power you'll ever have. 
And my God doesn't come to captivate. My God doesn't come to put people in domination. My God comes to set people free. He set me free and he'll set you free. Amen? So their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter with their throat. Those who make them are like them. You know, there's a, there's a truth in Scripture that says you become what you behold. If you worship a mute idol, you're, become, you're going to become mute and you're going to become idle. Right? So is everyone who puts their trust in them. But you know what? If you'll worship the living God, we were created in His image and His likeness and you will become like Him. The Bible says we shall see Him as He is. We serve a God who cares for people and listens to the cries of those who are calling out to him. Second Chronicles 7, 14 and 15, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. A lot of people today, oh yeah, I want God in my life. I'll just add God to all the stuff that I'm doing. No, you can call out to God, but you, and we'll get to here in a minute. This is the last point we're going to look at. But when you call out to God, you've got to be willing to forsake your wicked ways. You've got to recognize your ways are wrong. And God's ways are right. You can't just bring God into your wicked ways. You've got to change your ways. And when you begin to serve God, your wicked ways will become righteous ways. Amen. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Too many people are walking on the road to destruction and say, Yeah, come on, God with me. He ain't with you. You got to turn from that broad way and you got to get on his way and he is here on this way. Matthew 7, 7 through 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And him who knocks it will be opened. Why did I include that in there? Because remember, Elijah is making a request of God. He is calling out to the Lord. He is praying. I want you to know if you will call on God. God is there. He hears the cries of his people. John 16, 23 through 24, and in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, in the name of Jesus, he will give you. So what happened when he called out to God? And this is the most important thing. This is, this is the crux of the whole thing. God responded. God, creator of the universe, the one who holds the universe in the palm of his hands. God who is so big, the world cannot contain him. The universe cannot contain him. God responded to the cries of his prophet. And I want you to know that same God will respond to your cry. 1 Kings 18.38, the fire of the Lord fell when Elijah called out and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. When Elijah called out to God in front of these people, as we've seen, he was calling out to a living God who showed himself strong by answering the prayers of his servant. What we must recognize and what, we really gives, what really gives this account such great merit is that Elijah's prayers were not just heard, but the prayer of Elijah was answered. Why do we go to the temple? Why do we go over here so we can say prayers? Well, but is there ever an answer to the prayers? What you're going to find is when Elijah called out, there wasn't just a prayer. There was an answer to prayer because God is real. God is always attentive to the cry of his saints. And not only does he hear our prayers, but he answers the cries of his people. Jeremiah 33 and 3 says, Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. James 4 and 2 says, You do not have because you do not ask. 
So what's the flip of that? You will have if you will ask. But you need to ask according to his will, not according to my will. Right? So then that brings us to the last point. All of them started with the letter R. The last point is you've got to be reconciled with God. Actually, there's another point after this, I think. First Kings 18, 39 through 40, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. When God answered the prayer of Elijah, we see that there was an immediate recognition of God's power and an immediate response to the answer of God to the prayers of Elijah. This is why it's important that we testify. When you testify, people see that God is real. Oh, they'll, they hear a preacher, and they hear what's in the Bible, and they hear all of that. There's nothing wrong with that, and that's truth, and we're going to continue to preach that. But when you testify, what you're saying is, I called out to God, and this is what God did in my life. I see it with my eyes. I'm not just hearing it, but I see it in your life. It's important that we as a people testify. So what happened? The Bible says they returned. There's two parts to this, right? Two parts to this reconciliation. One is they returned, 1 Kings 18 through 39. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Now what they're saying is, they're not just saying, hey, God is God. What they're saying is the Lord Yahweh, the God of, uh, of Israel, he is the only God. Not Baal, not Asherah, not Molech, not Chemosh. God, the Lord Yahweh, he is God. So the first thing that people did when they saw God's power manifest is they bowed themselves and, uh, before the Lord by crying out to God. They returned to God. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. Now all these things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Come back to God. For he made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, to be sin for me, that I might, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God took my sin and he put it on himself at the cross of Calvary. And then he who had no sin took his robe of righteousness and he gave it to me. And when he did that, I was adopted into the family of God. I became, once again, a reconciled child of God who can say to God, Abba, Father, my God, my dad, my father, my papa. That's what he did for us. The second thing that happened is they renounced. And this is what I was going to get at before. 1 Kings 18 and 40, Elijah said, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. So in returning to God, what the people also did was to renounce the gods they had been serving. The definition of renounce is to formally declare one's abandonment of, whether it be a claim, a right, or a possession, to something that was previous, to reject, to refuse to abide by, to refuse to recognize, to repudiate. Elijah required the people to capture the false prophets of Baal, and he required the people to participate in putting that false worship to death. They renounced their idolatrous worship by abandoning, abandoning them and repudiating them. As Christians, as followers of Christ, we're not just to embrace Christ, but we're to abandon our former ways of life. 
We are to renounce the works of darkness because without Christ, we're living in darkness. And whether you understand it or not, you are actually serving the devil. You don't have to be a warlock. You don't have to be a witch. You don't have to be practicing dark magic. You don't have to be doing that. But if you're not in the kingdom of light, you are in the kingdom of darkness. And the ruler of this world is the devil who comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. It's like the Israelites. They were slaves in Egypt whether or not they wanted to be or not. They may have thought they had a decent life, but they were in captivity. Whether we recognize it or not, if we're not following after God, we're living for an enemy. And when you get presented the good news of Jesus Christ, Jesus says, he who the Son sets free, he's come to set you free, is free indeed. But in order to embrace Christ, you've got to renounce your captivity. You've got to renounce your idolatry. You've got to renounce your former way of life. You've got to say, I don't want this anymore. Oh, you can come to Christ and you can still keep smoking weed. You can come to Christ and you can still live with the person that you're living with in adultery and fornication. You can come to Christ and you can still drink. You can come to Christ and you can do all, you can, you know, do all this kind of stuff. That's hogwash. That's a lie. If you're going to follow after Christ, you've got to abandon your old way of life. You've got to say, not for me. Uh-uh, I'm abandoned. That is no longer, that is not who I am. I am a follower of Christ. I've got to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow after Jesus. Too much, too much Christianity, too much preaching today is just come as you are and don't change at all. Well, we want you to come as you are, but I want you to know if you come to Christ, you're going to change. We're not going to change you. See, that's where the church got it wrong. We think we're supposed to change you. No, we're not going to change you. The Lord will change you. Because you become what you behold. And when you see him for who he is, you begin to recognize, I can't live the way that I live and come in the presence of a glorious, loving God. He will do it for you. You just have to be willing. But you have to recognize, I can't live the way I used to live and come to God. I've got to change my ways. I can't change it, but I know that with Christ, he will change me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's why you've got to consider the cost. See, it's like, hey, man, don't think about it. Just come to the altar. No, actually, the best thing that happened to me is I got, took me three months to get saved. I'm not saying you need to take three months or you even don't need to respond. I'm not saying that at all, but I had to consider the cost. Right? If I serve God, it's going to mean something that's got to change in my life. Am I willing to pay the price? Well, when you recognize what you get in return, the price is not hard to pay. Right? But you still need to consider the cost because there is a price to pay. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to give yourself completely to God. It doesn't mean you're going to become a preacher, but if he says you will, right? It's not, it's not my life anymore. I would have never uh, made myself into a preacher. I would have never followed after God and done that myself, but the Lord called me to do that. But it's no longer my life. It's His. When I gave my life to Him, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Not my life anymore. It's His. This is who I called you to be. All right, then I'm going to walk in a manner worthy of that which you've called me to be. As Christians, as followers of Christ, we're not just to embrace Christ, but we're to abandon our former ways of life. Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. But that is not the way you learn Christ. 
assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self. So what was happening? He's writing to the church and they're living like the world. And he says, that's not how you learn Christ. You've got to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Listen, if the world was so good for you, why do you want God in your life? The reason I embrace God because I didn't like the world. But there's so many Christians that they want both. And I'm thinking to you, why do you want both? Because you can't have both. You're gonna have, if you want to try to have both, you're just going to have the one, which is the world. Because that's what the world wants. If you want the world, stay in the world. Don't come after Christ. But if you're not willing to abandon all, then, then you're not going to find Christ. But if you're willing to abandon your life and go after God, I promise you what he has in store for you is much greater than the world could ever give. Do not love the world. That's exactly right. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Too many Christians today, I'm going off on a rabbit trail again. Too many Christians today want to serve God, but they don't want to give up what their life is in, uh, before Christ. Can I serve God and still drink? Can I serve God and still do drugs? Can I still serve God and still sleep around with other people? Can I serve God? It's the most ludicrous questions, but that's what people, that's what Christians are asking because they haven't got the concept. It's not how it is to serve God. To serve God is not what I want, it's what he wants. Right? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. What we have seen today that Elijah was sent uh, is that we saw that Elijah was sent to the kingdom of Israel to bring them back to the one true God. I think there is a, a prophetic word or a, or a tongue out there. I think the Lord just showed me. So get that ready. He did so by confronting the powerless system of false worship by demonstrating the power of God who revealed himself by answering the prayers of his people. As a result, the people responded when God showed himself strong and the fire of God from heaven fell. The people responded by turning back to God. It's imperative that we as a church show the world around us that God is real. Elijah reveals that as we do so, we do it by, not by argument, because too many times we try to argue people into the kingdom. We think if I can only have a better presentation, I'm going to get them saved. No, I promise you that the best way to get somebody saved is to demonstrate the kingdom of God. Let them experience the power of God. Through testimony, as you testify of the power of God that touched you in your life, it creates an opportunity for others to experience that power in their life as well. A man with an, uh, with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. You can't argue people into the kingdom, but you can demonstrate the kingdom in their life, and that'll cause them to bow down and say, the Lord, he is God. It's imperative we show the world around us that God is real. Elijah reveals that as we do so, that, that, uh, that, that the people will respond. See, God is good, for the Lord is good, and his mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. It is who He is. He's a good God. He is alive. He's not dead. He's not distant. He didn't just wind the world up and leave it by itself. He is present. He's here in this place. 
And if you will call on him, he says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That word save means save, heal, deliver, set free. Whatever you need, God is there. He is present. He is in this place. If you will call upon him, God will answer you. And the goal is that those who would do so, like the people of Elijah's day, would come to the place where they realize that God, Jehovah God, Yahweh God, Jesus the, the, the visible manifestation of God himself. He is the one true God. The word of God, Jesus said of himself, I am. I am means I'm God. The way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is, not will be. He is. We are gathered in his name. He is here today in the midst of us. Amen.